Welcome to Untangling Christianity, episode number 29. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. We hope you'll come along for the conversation, and you can be part of that conversation by leaving comments at the website, untanglingchristianity.com slash 29. You'll also find related notes and links for this episode at the same place. That'd be good to look at some more comments we got on some of our previous episodes. Uh, we had a follow-up comment from Charlie to episode number two, which was the prologue to Not a Fan. And Charlie left some interesting comments behind, and then Greg had a follow-up, and I thought, maybe there's a whole podcast here. Although, as Charlie suggests, there's probably multiple podcasts in <laughs> all these That's comments, true. which I yeah. thought was, was very true. So this was the part I thought was interesting in Charlie's comment. It says, for the following section regarding belief versus experience, I think that frequently I find myself stuck between two worlds. The Bible equals truth. Therefore, anything it says can be used to prove your point. I'm very familiar with that. And two, <laughs> that, those are my comments, not Charlie's. And two, the Bible equals just another book. And therefore, if you try to solely use that as the basis of your argument, then I'm going to reject or discount your point of view. In simple terms, it's an isolated Christian tribe versus a secular tribe. I thought that was a really interesting insight. It mm-hmm. feels like exegesis is a very scarce skill in the non-professional Christian, in other words, non-pastor sense. Most people seem willing to be spoon-fed someone else's point of view with very little thought going into it. I think some of this is driven by a feeling-led culture that lacks reflection. Hmm. And hmm. then he says, and then he says, once again, I think this, there is probably a whole series of podcasts that spin off, could spin off of this topic. I think the trick is to break it down into digestible chunks for those who haven't spent many, many hours thinking about this. Point well taken. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so listeners out there if we're not breaking it down in small enough chunks and you're gagging on what we're putting out there <laughs> let us know <laughs> yeah it, it, as long as they're not personal attacks it won't hurt our feelings so that's right feel free to uh send that feedback <laughs> i think i think charlie's point was particularly well taken to me because uh, he's responding to something that you know one of the pieces that i sent him back i was like wow this is great i managed to kind of put it out there in this big in in this comprehensive way but oh man yeah it was so long it was like nine different points i think or six six yeah Yeah. (laughs) That's a, that's a fair. It was few. like six hundred words. <laughs> oh, more than that, I think. Yeah, at least it was a big reply. In fact, I printed it off. I thought, oh, we could do a blog post, not a blog post. We could do a podcast on each of these topics, which we haven't really gotten to yet. So, no, and I, I think I should do. I should do a couple blog posts on some of that stuff. And it is really tempting, you know, especially when someone makes a good point and you get the interaction going, like we do have with Charlie, and we've mentioned, obviously, you know, Anna. Some interaction with her, and it it is tempting to sort of look at that and say, "Wow, that's fantastic! Let's just kind of dig into that." And uh, so it's it's hard to it's hard to just say, "Oh, I'll just address one point, so this is small and digestible." But I Charlie's point's well taken, and I've I've kept my uh, responses much much briefer. So, so, but this is a good opportunity to go a little deeper on this one. So you say in response. Well, you you noted that you liked the distinction that he had made mm-hmm. between the two ways 
that the Bible is typically used. We've talked a lot about, you know, the Bible being used to prove a point. I thought it was interesting, though, how he he mentioned, you know, the Bible is just kind of being just another book. Mm-hmm. And it not really being trusted. I, I thought that was kind of interesting. Do you encounter that? Yourself? Well, yeah. I mean, th- this just reminds me of your discussion, your lunchtime discussion with, oh, with your my friend. Yeah. yeah. And the whole Jehovah's Witness things. And you guys can come back to the JWs. He says, listen, you can come back. Just don't bring the Bible along as proof. And we'll talk about whatever you want to talk about. Because I don't hold to the Bible as authoritative. So don't try and present it that way. And that seems to be, I guess that's the good side of what I'm reading in, in, in Charlie's like relative to what Charlie's saying, he's seeing two tr- two distinct tribes, and these tribes can't talk to one another. And I think what I heard your acquaintance uh, do when he was talking or pre- you know preparing to say to the JWs, "Come back to me," under these con- conditions, he was saying, "Let's level the playing field here. Let's play here. Here are my rules. Play by my rules, and and we'll 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 play the game. We'll have a talk." And I thought that was really valuable. Um. You know, and I think it might be equally valuable and equally fair for the JWs to say to him, listen, why don't we have a conversation on your terms and then we can have a conversation on our terms and maybe we can present to you or maybe we could tell you about our terms. We can present to you why we think the Bible is valuable, why we think it's authoritative. But, you know, um, yeah, so what I tried to bring out here, what, what he's, what I hear Charlie describing here and is this rift between these two what he calls tribes a secular and a christian um and you know related to what your friend was i think trying to establish when he was setting the ground rules with the jehovah's witnesses um academically there there's a big question about how do we view the bible is it a special book or is it a book like any other um, and this also relates to this idea of um, how do we – what I wrote is how do we situate the interaction between the world and the Bible or between existence and the Bible. And we've talked about this before, how Christians have a habit and a tendency um, – not just a tendency, but it's almost – they feel it's the right thing to do. It's It's – it's a knee-jerk reaction? <laughs> well, I think it's more than knee-jerk. I think they almost feel like it's part of their faith. They're, they're, they're not being true to their faith if they're not, and here's the point, understanding existence and understanding the world in light of the Bible. And for non-Christians, it's the exact opposite, right? I understand the Bible in light of my experiences and my understanding of the world. And so you've got this... this uh, Actually, I've got, a, I've got a blog post about this coming out, about one of those two points. I think, it's, I think it's the first point about, is the Bible a special book or a book like any other? Coming out on s- this Sunday, and then the next Sunday, I've got another one on the other point. Um, because these are just, I think this is really kind of crucial stuff. And this is the part, I think, where people get, we get tripped up. And I think Charlie's point is perfect, perfect. He talks about it's an isolated Christian tribe versus a secular tribe. And and the, but the isolation, you know, these two groups of people, the conversation cannot even get off the ground, right? You see things one way, I see things another way. And then, oh, 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 
I, I remember sitting in the, the, one of the common areas. I was doing my graduate degree. And I remember sitting there talking with uh, a fellow student. And I really liked this guy. And he was going through the pastoral program. We were talking about talking. We we're discussing the reality of talking with people who are not Christian, not necessarily you know, sharing your faith or something like that, but just having a discussion, which was an open discussion on all, all topics. And his point was, he said, I can only talk with them so far. I can only go so far in any given discussion because we don't share Jesus. We don't have Jesus in common. And my response to him was, I, can, I, I, I thoroughly disagree with you. I can go anywhere with anyone because we share, we fully share our humanity in common. I am fully a human being like that other person is fully a human being. We may not always agree. And this, I guess, is what I find to be the real crux of this, this issue is that, and, and, oh, 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 man, just get me started. It's the whole <laughs> dialogue versus dispute thing, right? We are conditioned in our churches. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to look and find out. <laughs> I thought you were going to talk about tra- passing tracks again. No, this might be worse. I don't know. I kind of feel even more torqued about this. But these reader, these, these listener comment uh, podcasts just send you off the rails. They totally do. I mean, it's it's good stuff. And I think the problem that I find is that it's like it, as with my friend there. He's a smart guy. He's a nice guy. Um, but it's almost as though. There are the reasons for not connecting with other people are too many and too strong. And we have this line of reasoning. We have this sort of understanding of biblical truth that keeps us from doing things that under any other circumstances we would see as just plain simple, loving my neighbor. We got a huge problem. Biblical truth, in quotation marks, is eclipsing or preventing me loving my neighbor rightly. Because you know what? I don't have to agree with that person's point of view. And I, I may not. And if we're talking about religion, and, and they come from, from quite a different perspective, I probably won't. And you know what? That's just okay. I don't have to make a big deal about it. I think the problem comes in, A, because... Christians, by and large, don't have a good sense of what they believe and don't have the ability to explain what that is and why, number one. But number two, we don't have a sense from our churches and from our – we're not taught that the way to interact with people is through dialogue. I don't care what their belief system is, right? The first thing I want to do when I meet somebody, you know, assuming it's not – you know, I'm on my way to some important appointment and, and I bump into somebody. Well, <laughs> excuse me, but I got to go, right? Um, but, but if I have the opportunity to meet somebody and to interact with them, I'd really like to know who they are. I'd really like to know what they're about, what they think. And you know what? I'm not listening long enough to answer the simple question, are they Christian or not? I, I, I had two important classes, and this is a, a, a you know... Um, a high-level Christian graduate school, and I'm in there, and there are two classes, and, you know, the first things that, out of the prof's mouth on the first day of the course is, 
we're going to find out, I want, we're going to investigate whether such and such is a Christian work or whether such and such can be truly considered Christian. And my thought is, why? Are you nuts? Exactly. Why? <laughs> why does it matter? I don't, well, it might matter in the end. Well, yes, but I mean, yeah. But that's it. It's, it mat- might matter in the end. It doesn't matter in the beginning. So I took a course on Kant, and it was on Kant's uh, work called Religion Within the Bounds of Reason Alone. And I was in there, and I'm sitting, and I'm listening to the prof, a, a guy that I, I came to like, came to respect, uh, you know, valued the course, took another course with him. I didn't have to. I took another course with him. But, you know, he's in there the first day of the course, and he's saying, well, I, the purpose of this course is to decide whether this work is a Christian work or not. And I thought, you know, it might be your purpose, but it's not mine. My purpose is to learn what I can from this guy because Immanuel Kant is one of the greatest minds uh, ever, you know, and certainly one of the greatest in philosophy. And I'm going to take this, take a look at this work and as many of Kant's works as I can and take everything I can from them. Well, that's where the tribe starts. Exactly. That's where the tribe, well, the tribe, the other thing, it's the tribe and also the whole, well, I don't, I'm guessing not in the context of your graduate school, but in my Christian experience, the the whole worry about being tainted by the world and sin and, you know, can I watch this movie? Is it a Christian movie or can I attend this performance? Is it, is it, maybe not is it Christian, but is it, you know, is there anything immoral about it or well is any part of it is it suitable for consumption by a christian now there are limits to that i'm not suggesting going to a strip club (laughs) 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 so so don't hear what i'm not saying (laughs) hear what i'm not saying (laughs) so there there are yes there are boundaries here yeah, I think we've become we've become so focused on the boundaries, so focused on raising fences that we have lost sight of the other people. We've lost sight of the people. And we've lost sight of ourselves in the process. And this is part of what for me seems to be so prominent is it's it's a process whereby I'm not only alienated from other people, I'm alienated from existence. I'm closing myself in and I'm closing the boundaries around myself in order to do what? To protect God as if somehow he needs God help. Needs, yeah, he needs my <laughs> me to protect God. What type of a crazy idea is that? So, you know, I, we've got to be in a mindset, it seems to me, where we are interested and eager for dialogue. Dispute, you know, um, I, I, I can't see, like you say, there, there are boundaries, right? I can't, I can't see myself having a lot of time for dialogue around child pornography. <laughs> You know, I, I, no. <laughs> I can't see that. Or maybe around pornography in general. Right. Um, but but it, it doesn't mean that I'm there to just like drop the hammer on somebody. That's, that's not what I, – I, I may know how strongly I'm situated relative to a certain idea or, you know, uh, value or whatever. But I think what, what really bothers me is it seems to be that – when it when you mention the word the uh, comment or expression knee jerk, and I think the knee jerk I would put on this immediate move towards dispute. My job as a Christian, and and I, of course I'm I'm saying that this is this is a, a thoroughly incorrect orientation. The orientation that my job as a Christian is to figure out: Are you a Christian? Is this a Christian comment? Is this a Christian book? Is this a Christian way of thinking? Is it? No, 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 no. My orientation as a Christian, and I'm coming back to the same thing every single freaking time, is to love God entirely, love myself rightly, 
love my neighbor likewise. So by the time I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the people around me, looking at my fellows, my neighbors, those in the world who share it with me, I'm trying to love them. It does not mean that I've, 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 um, I'm disregarding truth or that I, I, I sort of, uh, you know, I'm nonchalant about my sense of what might be true and right, etc. But it's this orientation. So first of all, we need to adopt an orientation of dispute, uh, of dialogue, not dispute. And we need to be taught. We need our churches to stand up and to be example, uh, you know, exemplifying how to do this. So what does that look like? Because that kind of ties into to Charlie's other point about exegesis or exegesis, that it's a scarce skill and that people, I mean, I heard this on a recent Darren Hufford podcast, the guy that he was talking to was, mm. they were both kind of reflecting how it, it feels like a lot of people that they encounter have, I thought this was a very interesting distinction. They've assented or adopted the beliefs of Christianity mm. at their church. But if really pushed, or if you really go deeper to say, do you believe this or why do you believe it? Yeah. Then, then it's, well, I think that's maybe the phenomenon that we see around books like not a fan. Mm-hmm. I mean, so all the five star reviewers on Amazon, did they, did they look up any of the passages in the book or did they just read <laughs> I mean, we certainly did. did yeah. Or did they simply just read it because it was published by Zondervan and someone that's allegedly a pastor at a church wrote it and so it must be true? I, so, yeah, I would agree that this whole idea of, of investigation, uh, and Charlie's referred to, you know, exegesis being scarce among, you know, non-pastors. I guess the other thing, though, that I would say is that being exegetically competent is not in any way... Um, a way of ensuring that I'm open to dialogue. There are a lot of really good exegetes. Well, I shouldn't say that. I know people who are exegetically competent who I think are still very disputatious and not dialogical. Oh, in other words, so exegetical being they can get at a more accurate meaning of the text, but in terms of being willing to have a dialogue with someone that they disagree with, not so much. Yeah, I mean, you can have you can be really good at getting at what you think is the right meaning of the text because you're you're approaching it in a skillful way, but you can still be just as ready to use that as a hammer, as opposed to, you know, holding that, knowing that you've got that, and being open to the other person. How many how many how many pastors? How many um, I don't know professional uh, you know Christian scholars who are who are you know focused on exegesis theology etc practice acts active listening well you know one of the one of the sad realities is um a lot of the skill that's required a lot of the i shouldn't say skill i should more say when when i'm when i'm reading the books on my shelves when i'm reading you know articles um there there is the need to be to, to argue right to argue a point but I think that, you know, and this would, I guess, would tie in with another piece, this whole idea of, of, of being truth-seeking, right? And part of the idea that I would put forward and that, that I was working with in my thesis is this idea that <clears throat> what we need to do is we need to listen in a way that doesn't try to, A, determine if somebody's a Christian or not, B, get enough of what they have to say to prepare a counter-argument, 
<laughs> That's it, a tough <coughs> one. That is a, that is such a tough one to fully just listen to someone. I mean, I practice this I probably daily with my wife where it's like she's saying something. It's so hard to just listen mm-hmm. and absorb and acknowledge what is being said versus just using that time to prepare a defense or an offense. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, it's so easy depending upon who you're, who the speaker is that you're listening to, it's so easy, depending upon how skilled they are, to trap them or to let them fumble around or to let them fail because they've got a sense of something that they're not able to bring out well. And then we dismiss it, not because the idea is invalid, but because their presentation's poor. Well, you know what? Real listening is bringing out the true strength that, of that perspective. It's listening long enough and fully enough both to hear the person and to bring out the true strength of what they're saying. And that literally can mean, you know, I'm going to take the side of somebody who is uh, presenting a point or perspective on a point that I don't agree with to bring out to say, okay, well, you know, I hear what you're saying and maybe even more so we could go this way. And I think the real value of doing that is that we are focusing in on truth. We're trying to draw as much truth out as we can. And, you know, um, that can be extremely uncomfortable. And we are very uncomfortable with that feeling of discomfort, with that particular feeling of discomfort with a threatening thing, something that threatens our belief set. And again, I think, that's we, uh, I think we've been taught to, again, we're, we're, you know, it seems to me that if people, I, I have to, the only thing I can say is, if you painted a picture to me of someone doing just what I described, of, of not being able to, to, um, to listen and to help somebody bring out the full strength of their point, and, and somebody asked me why, I would say it's uh, likely it paints a picture of somebody who's very insecure. And I mean insecure with their beliefs. Maybe going back to what you said earlier about the recent podcast you heard uh, from Hufford. Darren Hufford. And uh, if, whether it be because people don't know what they believe, whether because they believe things, but really if you press them, they don't know why. Or if they know what and why, and you said, well, how does that work out in real life here? Somewhere along that track, that progression, it breaks down. And when it breaks down, my guess is those people in those situations would feel like well, then it can't be true. And if it's not true, well, it has to be true because I based my whole life on this. In other words, there's so much riding on this that it doesn't really, and I'm, I'm not trying to be insulting and I'm not making some sort of ultimate statement, but in a certain sense, it doesn't matter if it's true or not. I'm going to fight for it like it is. And um, in some regards, in some cases, I think that's valuable. But you know what? Um, Man, if you are claiming that, if you're claiming to adhere to Christianity, if you are believing that it is ultimately true, if you're believing that it's true here and now, then I have no comprehension of why if someone was put in a place where they, that the truth of that, you know, Christianity was really called into question, why they wouldn't take some time and say, you know what, I got to sort this out. I probably didn't handle that last conversation too well because I got scared. And it didn't feel comfortable. But, you know, on your own, in the most comfortable setting you can, 
I would urge anyone and everyone to take the steps that they need to do to become more conversant with the reality of what they're believing. And if they, you know, another thing that we could do, John, I mean, I, I remember some of the steps, some of the books I initially read, you know, to, to, and everybody's needs in terms of validating beliefs, et cetera, will be different slightly. But, um, you know, there, there are some books that we can kind of look at and say, okay, th- these might be good starters, right? Or these are issues. And, and what, what, what books would I read perhaps to deal with these issues? So you're, you're suggesting cre- like create a list in the notes or yeah, review those create, books? Okay. Yeah, or even, even have a resources tab on the, on the website. You know, these are great books to start into in terms of reading. Um, you know, because it, it's... My list is going to be pretty short. <laughs> I don't know. You might surprise yourself, man. Okay. <laughs> I seem but, to have a magnet for finding the not-so-good ones. Well, you know, and this is, this is actually just where I was going to go because um, it's, it would be interesting to me to actually poll readers... You know, if we, if we could, if we could somehow poll readers who are very contented with their faith and poll, you know, people, you could write down, you know, how contented are you f- with your faith from one to five, five is most, one is least, and then, and then get them to list the books. You know, what, what books have you read or do, have you may, make an impression on you, do you remember, um, that have contributed positively? You know, and my guess is when you talk about a short list, my guess is the list f- on average would be quite short. And we do have, I mean, I've heard certain names coming up again and again. I've heard them, I've heard you mention a few. I've heard them, the same names from other people. Um, and, you know, when I look at the writings of these people and I compare them with other books that I've read, I think, oh, gee, you know, so these guys are um, not too hot. They don't, they don't stack up very well. Um, you know, because if I've got, if I've got, a Christian author saying one thing, and I've got five Christian authors who I think are equally credible, if not more so, saying a different thing. Well, then odds are I'm going to go with the five over the one, unless the one has maybe addressed the points of the five. If this is an ongoing interaction, and this is somebody who's you know addressed these points, and I think their argument is stronger, well, then I'll go with the one. But I'm not just going to, you know, just because you've got one Christian author saying something to you, I, I, that's not a basis for accepting it. You know, so it's the whole point with not a fan. Uh, you may think that Kyle Eidelman is a high-profile pastor, and maybe he is that, right? But I think you and I have brought out some points, uh, you know, against his views in not a fan. And and again, you, you may think that somebody, a listener may, may come to think that you and I are pretty, you know, high-profile, or, or maybe we're, uh, I don't know, we're equally capable. Maybe they put us on equal ground. <laughs> I don't know about that. My, well, well, I don't know about not that. Not myself, but... <laughs> but, but... But I guess my point is... You know, don't do the work for yourself. Yeah, don't. Right? Yeah, don't take our word for it. <laughs> yeah, and hopefully, what we're doing—I think what we are doing—is we're saying, "Here's what we think, and here's why." And we're engaging with Kyle to say we have engaged with Kyle all along to say, "Here's what we're reading. Here's what we don't like. Here's why, and here's where we'd go instead." Mm-hmm. And then you decide. Mm-hmm. Totally right. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I would love to put a tab up of resources and just put some books in there because if, if everybody, in other words, if, if, if there are books, if it's the same, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of board games. You know, when people think of board games, they think of Risk, Clue, and Monopoly. 
boring. Everybody owns the games. Yeah, <laughs> we all own them and we play them as, as kids and we'd never bring them out again unless unless a kid asks us to play them. And then we're kind of like, oh my gosh, do we really have to do this? How about a different game? You know, and it's, it's in other words, I, I love board games. I've gotten into Euro games, you know, the whole movement that came in, I think it was 1993 when Klaus Teuber put out uh, Settlers of Catan. And then there's been this slew of games that are so fun. They're so replayable. They've got high interaction levels. They're really interesting. And so I'm looking over at Pandemic, Duel of Ages, Cosmic Encounter, Dominion, uh, Shogun, Samurai, Dungeon Twister, Hannibal, games probably most people have never heard of, right? And I would do the same thing with books, not because these authors necessarily are, there's no point in reading them, but when you recycle the same stuff, you don't have fresh perspectives. And if there are problems with the, with the perspectives that are being recycled, how on earth are you going to find them? Right? If you've like only it. got a couple of sources and there are problems in those sources, then you're snuckered. No, so I, I, I no, I like it. This this fits right in with something I was going to ask you about off oh. mic, but it's it's worth asking here. So we haven't gotten permission. We we got some re- we got an email from a reader that we haven't gotten permission yet to vet. And by the way, if you send us an email, we won't just automatically like read it on our next podcast. We'll always check with you first to see if it's okay with you if we read it on our next podcast. Mm-hmm. So. I, I think it's okay though. So anyway, this particular person that, that sent in this email commented that they had bought a commentary and had read through certain, I think they ended up reading through the whole Bible. And that was totally like motivating to me. I thought, you know, I haven't done that since Bible college and mm-hmm. in large part have avoided the Bible because of all the biblical abuse that I've experienced. So my mm-hmm. question to you, so, so I went to my shelf this morning and I thought, you know, before I start working today, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read something, and then I, I, I want to like look, see what the commentary has to say about this passage. Mm-hmm. But then I flipped to the front of the commentary, and I was like, well, hmm, I wonder what kind of a commentary I'm using here, and where they're coming from. Then <laughs> <And> I had, <laughs> I had a commentary by John MacArthur that I inherited, <laughs> that. Sorry, I thought I, I could so that I thought I could use as a reference, but when I uh-huh. turned to Genesis one, and he immediately went off on how the earth was created in six days, and that this was known without a shadow of a doubt, I thought, uh oh, I'm in trouble. Like anyway, that wasn't the commentary that I was looking at. Now maybe there are other good things in his commentary. I don't know, but anyway, so I pulled out this other commentary. And I look at the front of it, and it's by a bunch of guys from Dallas Theological Seminary. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, there's kind of a theme here of evangelical authors. Mm -hmm. Is that helpful or not? I don't know. So my question to you, Greg, was going to be, you know, where would what would you recommend as a balanced? Sounds like Fox News, fair and balanced, or whatever their tagline is. But you know (laughs) what? What is a good set of commentary authors that you would read or that you would suggest. And you don't have to say off the top of your head, but as we're talking about kind of like a resources tab, mm-hmm. that's one question that I had was, huh, mm-hmm. what would be, because for me, I'm all about efficiency. I don't want to like do this whole study through the Bible through some bog- and use some bogus commentary and come mm-hmm. to a bunch of bogus com- conclusions. Like what a waste of time. No, I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, well, first of all, fantastic. I think this is a fantastic subject. And I'm really glad you raised it. And, and it, kudos for you for going to the front of the book and looking. It was so, just an accident. I don't, no, I think it was an accident because I went downstairs to my bookshelf and I saw the John MacArthur one and I was like, okay, I'm not touching that one. So, oh, I'll just use the one that I always use. In fact, I've quoted it on some of our other podcasts. And then right. I thought, oh, yeah, no, that's no, that's what did lead me to look in the front of it. Continue. Okay, so I didn't, fo- exegesis was not my, hermeneutics was what I did at graduate school and my research. So my, both, both my courses were more focused on hermeneutics. I did, exe- I did a couple courses on exegesis. Um, but one of the things that comes from being there in graduate school is you get exposed to who are the names, who are the players, right? So if you want to ask me who are the players in philosophical hermeneutics, who are the players in, in Christian philosophical hermeneutics, Christian biblical hermeneutics, I can name them all. And I've got most of the books on my shelf. And that just comes from I was immersed in this, right? When it comes to exegesis, I'm going to go to somebody who I know was immersed in exegesis in the way that I've been immersed in hermeneutics, somebody that I can trust. So I went to my mentor. I went to Greg Lowry and I said, tell me about the commentaries you have on yourself. Now, I've been to his, you've probably been down in his study, and he has maybe six large bookshelves and they're full hundreds and hundreds of books. Um, and he gave me a list and he sort of laid it out for me. These are more academic. These are more sort of everyday. Um, but I think it's really, really important. So I, I, would, I would read the Dallas Theological. The, the, the and I'm not, saying they're, I'm not saying they're bad or anything. I just, when Dallas Theological comes to mind, I think more conservative. I think evangelical and... I Definitely. think I have mixed feelings about evangelical Christianity, given my experience with it. Yeah, definitely. And, and I would, uh, um, I think you're right, right? That, that's a, that's a, that's a, an understandable and I think a correct thing to think. Um, in terms of, but, but, but so, yeah, I mean, you, you really almost have to uh, uh, talk to somebody. And, and I don't just mean... And this is the tricky thing, right? I mean, I don't want this to seem like it's an unreachable sort of thing. Like, oh, gee, Greg, you've gone to graduate school and you might be able to, you know, give one of your old profs a dingle or drop an email to so-and-so and they're going to give you a list of 10 or 12 good books. I mean, how are the rest of us going to get on that? Well, number one, I'm going to put it on the blog site and it's not my recommendations. These are Greg's and I don't think he'd have any – I'll clear it with him first. But I'm sure he'd be pleased, absolutely pleased for more and more people to be getting hold of these so, um, uh, NT France. Oh, it's RT. NT right, RT France. I've got RT France's Gospel of Matthew. It's the um, New International Commentary on the New Testament. He has done Matthew, and I think he's done John too, or he's done Mark. This is a 1300. Oh, no, it's only 1100. 1100 pages. It's by Erdman's. It's big. I Only 1,100 pages on one book of the Bible. <laughs> one book of the Bible. This is, you know, it's, so this is the high end, right? This was the academic one. I started buying one at a time because they're, relatively speaking, they're pricey. You just can't get these guys for less than 40, 50 bucks. So, you know, you do the New Testament and you're out a lot of cash. And not everybody can do that, 
Right. Um, but I think that it's important to look at, you know, who is the commentator? So in other words, RT France is a big time exegete. He is a big player, you know, to put it in sports terms, he's your, you know, he's like a franchise player, right? Whereas if you're looking at John MacArthur, I mean, no, no offense, but, but as far as I know, John MacArthur has nowhere near the training. He has nowhere near the language skills. He has nowhere near the background. He has nowhere near the scholarly publications that somebody like this would have. And so were the two conflicted, I would go with the person who's got more training. It's just the same thing as my car. My neighbor may know a lot about cars, but if I take it to the mechanic and the mechanic says, it's not that, it's this, I'm going to listen to the mechanic. He's the guy that's trained, not my neighbor. And so I guess it's that principle, right, of making sure that you um, not only do you sort of say, okay, I, I need to uh, you know, uh, be guided. I'd like some guidance in this process of reading the Bible, but you are somewhat critical and curious, at least curious to begin with and, and critical possibly about what, th- who that individual is, what they, what their views are. Um, you know, and there, there are a lot of people coming out of Dallas. Uh, I, well, okay. To be honest, there are some people coming out of Dallas that I really like. And that I agree with, and, and I'm, I'm pleased to read them and there are others and I'll read them. And I think, you know, I don't really agree with you. But I'm balancing you off against somebody else. And you know what? Maybe you do have a point. Maybe you are correct. And so it's not just about, you know, reading to find what you agree with. It's also knowing that I'm probably not going to agree with that guy, but I'm going to read him anyways. Well, and I think that's the tricky thing here is, as you were talking about, you know, who you getting recommendations from people, there's that, yeah, there's that constant need to ask yourself, not in a skeptical, cynical you know, nobody can give me the right answer, but I don't know what is a healthy questioning. Um, I mean, even I guess what what I'm trying to, what I'm thinking out loud is, okay, if I come to you for recommendations, I'm going to get one set of recommendations, but say I, I I don't know anyone that went to Dallas, but say I did. And I said to them, what would your recommendations be for commentaries? I might get a completely different set, but I guess that's where I take, Maybe yeah. two valued opinions, and I balance those two sources off of each other and, and do my own homework. Yeah, and you know, this, this gets into the, a much larger question. Um, you know, if you get two sets of opinions and you say to yourself, you know, I think a comment that you made, I thought you made a little earlier about people taking time and people not having time. And, you know, a lot of us don't have a lot of time. Even for some people, if they're listening to this podcast, they might think, man, I, I, I got to eke out time just to listen to this podcast. <laughs> the only Maybe reason they're are... listening is they're stuck in traffic. <laughs> yeah, I'm stuck in traffic. I got the time to do that. Now I can't go flipping through a book. I'm not going to buy that. And plus, what's the training required to read this, this RT France book, Greg? How much training? Like, you know, uh, sure. Uh, th- there probably is a degree of training that for me is just like, okay, I've already got this and I don't, I don't see it. It's like the fish in the water doesn't know the water's there. And there is a degree of training that would make this book inaccessible for a lot of people. Good enough. I, I, I take that point. Um, but I guess, I guess what I would hope and what I, would, what, I would, um, what I think is really important is that um, – like you, you, can, you, can you just repeat your, your earlier point? I was going to sort of – I don't think it was very clear. It was 
the thought that was coming to mind was, okay, you can get, you can ask for ref- referrals to uh, different sources, but if you're always getting those referrals from people in your own tribe or people that you trust, mm-hmm. th- your your sample is already a little biased. In other words, yeah, I'm going to go to you because I trust you and I trust how I've seen you answer my questions and how you've approached the Bible and how you've thoughtfully considered and wrestled with a ton of stuff. Mm-hmm. At the same time, so I'm I'm going to come to you. Now, granted, you could have your own, you could be misguided in your own ways and then, uh, but again, that's that's where the need to, I guess, sort things out for yourself. Not just take it all as, and I don't, as you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and I guess the the point I was thinking about there is on the one hand, it's thinking about who the person is. So, as you mentioned, you've, your experience of talking with me is that when you ask me a question, uh, your sense of my response is that it's, it's uh, whether it's fulfilling, whether it seems, you know, like I'm doing due diligence to to the Bible, whether I'm being respectful to you, whatever goes into it, there's a sense of this answer being um, complete and, and, and in some way valuable for you and, and perhaps in, 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 in some way seeming accurate, right? So there's that. And I guess this is a much bigger question, I realize this. And, and I approach it uh, carefully, but I think it needs to be just said, is that you may well see a different conception of who God is when you spend enough time talking with me versus enough time talking with this other fellow over here who may have studied at this other institution. And I'm not saying that studying at one place or another dictates how we view God. I think it does influence. And that influence can be simply absorbed or it can be sifted or it can be critically kind of uh, examined, or it might be even be rejected, right? There's various ways of kind of degrees, I guess, of, of influence that a specific institution can have. But institutions do have a big impact. And most people you're talking to who are going to have some expertise in these areas have gone through study, have undertaken study at an institution and knowing something about that. And of course, for, for some listeners, that may be just like, oh, stop the tape right now. This is like way too much. I've got to think about where this guy went to school. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and so... They we're just making this harder and harder and harder. No wonder yeah. God has to be involved in the process. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's an interesting way of putting it. You know, and I don't, I don't want to come across like that. I don't want to come across like that. But at a certain level, at a certain point, I think that um, that has to be considered. You know, when you hear someone saying, this is what the text says, um, there aren't too many areas where, well, put it this way, there are areas where someone will say, this is what the text says, and that person is trained and competent and as credentialed as you might want them to be, and a devout Christian. And you have another devout Christian over here who's as trained and credentialed as you'd want them to be, and they would disagree. You know, and you as a reader and as a Christian 
are, are in a position where you, you have to make up your mind. And, and, you know, I've heard it in some, in some situations I've heard it. And I've even heard this said by Christians about scholarship that you can't trust scholarship because all they do is you, you, there's no consensus anyways. There's no straight answer. And I think to myself, no, no, I, I don't think that's fair. I think there are some situations where it is difficult to um, weave your way. And, and, and uh, you know, I would, I, would, I would talk to other people. I would talk to people I respect, people who might know something about these areas and try to get their sense of them. And, you know, maybe part of what it is to be a Christian is to develop a network of knowledgeable people, people who are knowledgeable about the Bible. Maybe that's almost... I mean, can I say this? Maybe that's almost a responsibility that, you know, you don't have to know everything. You listening to this podcast don't have to know everything. But part of your responsibility is to develop relationships with and for your church, perhaps, to develop relationships with people who are knowledgeable in this, these areas, you know. And um, I often wonder about this. Like, why don't churches think – there's, there, there are counseling pastors, there's youth pastors, there's senior pastors. Are there any research pastors? Ooh. Like, you, you know, you hit on a great one. I was having a really great conversation uh, with my mom the other day. And we were talking about the, I had gone to the Christmas Eve service at their church and she was asking me what, how, how I had taken it in and what, what I was thinking mm-hmm. about it. Somehow we got onto the topic of the pastor's role. And mm-hmm. and what I thought a better pastor's role would would be, and that's exactly what I said. I said, I said I think a pastor should be a resource. And it's just like, well, okay, well, well, then what, like, what would they do on a Sunday morning? I said, well, if you're going to give a sermon or a homily, walk me through a particular part of the text and help me understand the text better, but skip all this bogus life application stuff. <laughs> You know, I think God can handle that part. So mm-hmm. if you want to work through the book of Isaiah or the book of John or whatever, help me understand in excruciating detail what was going on at that time and mm-hmm. how, what the context was and why it was written, why it may have been written in the way it was written and how might the people in that time have understood what was being said. And then I said, and then just stop right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, know, you don't need the piece of paper with the three little blanks at the bottom. It's like, this week I'm going to apply the, this passage in these three ways. Let me figure that out on my own. But now I'm getting fired up. Yeah, what came to me was, in my perfect world, the pastor's job would not be to give me challenge questions and life application challenges or ask me you know, if I'm doing X, Y, or Z in my life. It would be... To help me understand a lot like our conversations, you know, when, mm-hmm. when I'm like, okay, this, this, you know, the, the infamous, uh, pick up your cross and follow me, you know, what is mm-hmm. it? What is, what is, what's really going on here? What does this mean? Or the rich young ruler, any of the other things that we've discussed, mm-hmm. like that to me is where the real value is. And yes, I would, yes, I agree with you. <laughs> so I don't know if we've wandered from, <laughs> From Charlie's question or not. <laughs> I think we have. There was one, so, well, we haven't, we haven't, we haven't, actually, and I think as I think about it a little more. I was <laughs> curious in the, in the few minutes we got left here, the section 
that I was curious. I'm wondering if you just add a little bit too. Maybe we'll, we'll pick this up again sometime. But mm-hmm. so you're in your reply to Charlie, you talk about the situatedness. Am I using that right? Your your point B about contextualization. Right. And so on, and I'm quoting you. So on one hand, many Christians would say that we should understand or read the world based on our understandings gleaned from the Bible. A good example is seven day creationism. On the other hand, many non-Christians would say that we should understand or read the Bible based on understandings gleaned from the world. But you don't really answer like, so what's the recommended approach here? Well, yeah. And I, I think, I think, I think there is a rec- I do have a recommended approach. So, <laughs> Not that there's, but, I was going to say, what's the right approach? Well, maybe. <laughs> what? Well, I think both of these approaches leave us in the same place as my buddy at uh, graduate school who says, you know, I can only talk with non-Christians so far because we don't share Jesus in common. Well, no, the fact of the matter is you share your humanity in common. You can talk all day. You might disagree and have different views. And so, I think the matter gets a little bit complex, but basically what am I, my, my next line in there, in that, that last line I wrote to Charlie. So my take on the preceding questions, on these two questions, is that in each case the answer is both. We need to both understand the world based on our understandings taken from the Bible and understand the Bible based on our understandings taken from living in the world, from existence. It's a, it's an, it's an interrelated. Now people would say, well, oh, well, how do you do that? What do you start with? And um, okay, uh, at the risk of of being overly complicated, I'll give you the answer. And if it doesn't work out, you know, I'll just cut this part. So I take this, and I'm inspired in terms of my response based on uh, an article. And I'll, I'll cite the article. But if you have the chance to pick up the book and you've never read any philosophy, do yourself a favor and don't because he's really tough to read. But if, you, if you're into this sort of stuff and you've got a bit of a background, providing you're okay with the idea, it's going to be a tough slog. Uh, Paul Ricoeur is the author. Figuring the sacred is the text. And I was thinking I was going to do this all from memory, but I'm not. I'm pulling the book out. Um. I think it's philosophy and religious language is the is the essay. Um, I think that's the one. But in any event, his take on that on that yeah, it's philosophy and religious language. I think, and he's got another one in another one of his books. But he basically would say that um, we approach everyone approaches the Bible. Think about it this way: no one's born a Christian. I think we can all theologically agree on that. No one is born a Christian. We become one. Or, or not. But Christianity comes after living in the world. So we all, all of us, have understandings of what it is to be a person living in the world before we approach Christianity. Now, for a lot of us, we come from Christian backgrounds that are you know, from Christian families, within Christian subcultures, within a broader Christian sort of understanding— and it doesn't really seem like there's much gap between us being not a Christian and being a Christian. You know, we accept Christianity extremely young, and it's just all we know. But um, I think it's important to realize that theologically, there's, there's a gap there, right? You don't start as being a Christian. And so the process, essentially, um, that I would lay out is you approach the Bible through 
the lens of living as a human being. And if you ask anybody who is an adult now, you understand that that view makes perfect sense. You, you can't approach it. You can't approach the Bible as being a Christian. You know, you might approach it as being in a Christian home and you're taught about it, but not everybody has that. You know, and that's, that's one way of being. That's not a general way of being, but it's generally true. It's, uh, I, don't, I don't think it's disputable. People aren't born Christians. They become them. However, what happens is there's a certain, and Recur is very good with this, working out what he would call, you use the word, uh, uh, I can't remember the word you used, the mention that I used. Spe- I thought it was specificity, but he would use the word specificity and say there's something very specific about the Bible. And I won't go into all of what that is. But what happens is that specificity has a way of, his word is refiguring refiguring our understanding. It brings us to uh, the possibility of interaction with God. And through that interaction, through that relationship, there is, and I'm, I'm adding to recur here. For those who know him, I don't want to suggest that he's saying this, but I'm, this is my take on him. There is, through this interaction, a kind of refiguring, a kind of changing the way that we understand and the world and can live in the world. And this is an ongoing process then. Once it started, that's cool. You know, so um, you have an understanding from the Bible, you would live that out into the world, into your existence, and you get feedback. And it's this whole thing I'm talking about before about giving tracts, all that sort of stuff, right? I have an understanding of what it is to make disciples. I give some people some tracts. They give me some feedback. And instead of, instead of me saying, oh, you know, they, they're giving me negative feedback because Jesus is a stumbling block and, um, you know, they're, they're not Christians. No, I take that feedback. So in other words, the process is both. It starts being a human being in the world, approaching the text, seeing in the text some very special, unique characteristics and some very... Um, the offer of a very unique and um, particular relationship that has the ability to kind of reshape the way I exist and reshape what it is for me to be a human being in the world. And that process just goes on, you know. But of course, the reality too of seeing things like reading the Bible uh, in light of the world is there are understandings from science. There are understandings from psychology. There are understandings from sociology and economics that help me understand the Bible better. It's not a one-way street. It's both, right? And of course, my understandings from the Bible help me in terms of my sense of what it is to be uh, psychologically whole, to be sociologically involved, to be economically stable, all these types of things. So it's a big discussion and, and I wouldn't want to s- pretend that it's not complicated. It is complicated, but I think it's valuable to dig into it. And maybe this is the first gloss. No, what I hear you saying, I think maybe it's a good place to wrap it up is it's a balance of both. Mm. And it seems to me that where the biggest conflicts happen or where people seem to get the most dogmatic, it's, it's when they're, unwilling 
to consider or work with the other side. So if it's yeah. if the the Bible says the world was created in six days, well, it's six literal days. Period. Full stop. Just it has to be six days because the Bible said it was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Versus. You know, what do they find in science? And now I realize there's some people that can find that in science too. So I don't really have a, <laughs> I don't have a dog in this fight on this particular, particular topic. I really don't. I like um, that. Don't have a dog in this fight. I, I really, yeah. I, it wasn't, a, well, I, one other closing thought. I think that, I think that what also really matters here is what's, what's at stake. Yeah. Where where do you pick your battles? For yeah. me, I'm perfectly fine accepting and believing that that somehow God created this world. It's too complex for me to to assume or believe that it was just a big explosion and in a big accident and mm-hmm. that it just happened. I just that's harder for me to believe than that someone created it. Now someone mm-hmm. else could have a completely different take on that and I fully respect that. So I don't really have a, you know, six literal days, six billion years, whatever the number of, whatever. But if it's, so, yeah, all I'm trying to say is I think you got to pick your battles and where you want to go into, and I I suppose that could be different for each person. However, I I think it does matter. Yeah, you need to go deep in some areas and there's not enough time to go deep in all of them. So pick the ones that matter. Yeah. That's a great point. And again, as a community, I guess I would say, if you go deep here and I go deep there and she goes deep we there. We cannot pull our resources. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Because I think if, 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 if somebody as a Christian is not going deep anywhere, I just wonder how do you have uh, enough foundation to feel confident? That's a good – I keep thinking we're, we're ending this, but that's a really great point because I feel like – even in our conversations, I'm not able to go deep on a lot of these topics, but I'm going deep for myself to figure some of this stuff out. And I feel like in the process, you, I don't know, I feel like together somehow we're, we we make more sense of this stuff. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay, let's call that the end. <laughs> you bet. <laughs> I got to roll. Spooky music. All right. Well, the spooky music means only one thing. This episode's over, but another one's on the way. Thanks for listening to Untangling Christianity. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. So leave a comment at our website, untanglingchristianity.com slash 29. If you'd like to be notified by email when new episodes are released or other news, subscribe to our mailing list, also available in the right sidebar of the website. We welcome your questions, comments, or suggested future discussion topics by email. Send those to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. And if you're looking for just one more way to give feedback on the podcast, we're running a survey. Untanglingchristianity.com slash survey. Music on this podcast is made available by Kevin McLeod over at incompetech.com and is licensed under Creative Commons License. Thank him for his generosity by supporting him at his website. Tune in next week for a new episode.